0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Roskoff, and I am your host. And I'm coming to you from the nation's capital, where it is one million degrees outside, and people are melting into the sidewalk. I couldn't even walk my dog because he just couldn't take it. Um, and I am joined uh, here in the nation's capital, um, of course, by Rosa Brooks, who's somewhere. and Where are you, Rosa?
1: David, I'm not going to tell you because you, you're going to make fun of me.
0: Oh, well, then definitely. We're not going anywhere until you tell us.
1: It's a secret.
0: Oh, okay. Um, but,
1: but I can yeah. tell you one thing. I know you're about to introduce our next guest, but one of them is even hotter than you are. Um,
0: well, that's, that's I mean, quite... Oops. <laughs> no pun intended. Careful, careful. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, the next guests of which you speak include Beverly Kirk, who is the director of the Smart Women Smart Power Initiative at CSIS. Hi, Beverly.
2: Hi, David. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. And um, back after something of an absence, because she's been making her way across Europe, uh, we have (laughs) Julie Smith, who is currently in residence at the Bosch Academy in Berlin. as uh, a vicecker vice fellow, indeed. Uh, um, although and my, my father, it. my father would have said wiseacre, and <laughs> something completely different. Um, <sighs> it, yes.
1: Julie, tell David how hot it is.
0: Well, it was
3: 95 today, and as uh, many listeners probably know, uh, Europeans are not big on air conditioning, certainly not like many Americans are. They don't uh, like to work in meat lockers and or sleep in meat lockers. Um, and so we're just enjoying the heat uh, for what it is with no air conditioning. Um, so, yes, it's a little toasty over here in Berlin right
0: now. Um, well... I don't know whether I'm sorry to hear that, but it certainly sounds like, uh, interesting, I just got back from London yesterday, um, yeah, and the weather there was pretty nice for the past Oh, week.
2: lucky
0: uh, you. Yeah, no, so it was, it was not so bad. Now, um, all of you guys are on here to talk about something new, and then we can also talk about what's going on in the world if you want, um, but rather than having me describe that something new, Rosa, why don't you...
1: Okay. Yeah. Julie and Bev and I are all involved in a new organization that we're really excited about um, called the Leadership Council for Women in National Security. It has on its steering committee uh, many other people known well to our listeners like Corey Shockey and you, David Rothkopf, a male ally. That is what we call you, a male wow. ally. Bravo. That's Bravo. what I,
0: I'm... a male ally.
1: Yep, and you can aspire to no higher position. Um, um, and the Leadership Council for Women in National Security, as the name cunningly suggests, is dedicated to promoting women's leadership in national security. Um, we just launched. Uh, listeners who are interested in learning more can go to our website. Uh, you'll, If you're very attentive, you'll realize that Leadership Council for Women in National Security, if you spell that out with initials, it's LCWINS, LC wins, get it? Um, and our website is www.lcwins.org, and you can check it out. And maybe Julie and Bev can chime in and talk a little bit about our first initiative.
0: Yeah, but who's Elsie?
1: <laughs> we are all Elsie.
0: <laughs> I, I say, I think Elsie is your mascot. You're going to have to work on that. All right. Well, Bev. To tell to explain why this is important and 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 then either one of you could explain what you've done in the um, uh, few hours since your official launch.
2: Well, I think it's important because essentially the message is there are extraordinary women in national security, and we are hoping that the uh, the presidential candidates will Take advantage of this vast group, this vast knowledge and make sure that when they are choosing their national security staff that uh, some of these women make their list for people that they appoint to really important and high level jobs.
0: Um,
2: I think that's it in a nutshell. I think that's it in a nutshell. But Julie and uh, and uh, Rosa chime in if I missed if I missed anything there.
0: Um, well, Julie, why don't you chime in? Um, you have a A special perspective on all of this, um, having once served on the national security staff of one of those candidates.
3: Right. So one of the first things that we decided to do uh, in this uh, with this new movement is to try and get all of the campaigns to uh, pledge to move towards gender parity. Um, in their campaign staff and should they be elected president. Uh, And so what we did as a group is we reached out to all sides, Republicans and Democrats alike, anyone trying to be our next president to say, look, we'd like you to consider a couple of things when you're looking at hiring um, national security leaders. One, we want to make sure that you're applying rigorous standards um, so that you get a very diverse candidate pool Uh, for all the senior positions in your administration. We want to make sure that you don't fill any senior positions until you can ensure that you've had a diverse slate of candidates, which is not always the case. People sometimes complain that they can't find Uh, qualified women uh, or enough qualified women so we're standing by to help people find those women Uh, and then we also wanted the campaigns to pledge that their hiring recommendations would be evaluated at least in part on whether or not they will contribute to creating diverse leadership teams Um, so what happened when we put out the call to Democrats and Republicans is we got 15 Democratic campaigns to respond immediately some folks are still considering this Um, But 15 different campaigns have stepped forward to say, we're going to sign this pledge. And if you want to look at the pledge specifically, what it says, what the conditions are, kind of what we ask people to sign up for, again, that's on our website that Rosa just mentioned. But this is kind of the first big initiative that we're going to put out there. And the idea is that we're just kind of getting started. We're revving our engines and we want to do more things like this to ensure that we can get national security leaders that represent and the number of people coming into the field so that we can ensure diversity in all senses, ensure that women of color are included um, in these positions and that we see diversity in the truest sense. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's essentially uh, the, the the way we've gone about launching this. And, and I do feel strongly about this. All of us feel strongly about it um, because I think all of us have a story to tell about the unique challenges that women face. In this field. And um, unfortunately, despite making a lot of progress uh, in recent years, um, too many women in the field continue to face either unconscious bias, sexism, discrimination, structural challenges, um, and some work life balance issues. There's a whole array of challenges that are unique to women. And we want to do our best to help women. Uh, Grapple with those challenges and help men understand some of those so that we can support women in the field. Okay, David, so can if I can, tell I can jump
1: story back about in. Oh, go ahead, Bev. I, I, my story about. I David, was just,
2: we'll just going to say one thing that's really important to note here it is a very bipartisan effort. Uh, all around. The steering committee is bipartisan. Uh, the Republican campaigns were approached about uh, uh, signing on to the pledge, and my understanding is that is under consideration and is pending. Uh, we just haven't heard back from them uh, yet with, a, with an answer one way or the other, but it's really important for people to know that this is bipartisan.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, Rosa, Rosa what, what, what were you going to say? <laughs>
1: Well, I was going to say several things, one of which is that everybody's favorite Republican, Corey Shockey, is also, of course, a member of our steering committee, along with a number of other fantastic women uh, with uh, experience in Republican presidential administrations. Um, But I was going to tell a story about David because I wanted to pick up on something that Julie said. Um, We have asked these presidential candidates to commit to seeking gender parity in their senior national security appointments. And in fact, our, our hashtag on Twitter is 50-50 in 2020. And one of the, the questions we get from time to time uh, is, oh, well, are you advocating a quota? And our response is, no, it's an aspiration, not a quota. And then the follow-up question people ask is, oh, well, you know, 50% women, that's so unrealistic. How is that realistic? And our response to that is, gee, um, you know, number one, women make up half the population. Doesn't seem that wacky to think that maybe they should make up roughly half of the senior leadership positions in the field as well. But but more to the point, that there's this sort of fake argument that a lot of people make about, oh, well, there just aren't enough qualified women. And you know, 50 years ago, that might have been true when there were so many more barriers to women entering. The field in foreign policy and national security but today that is absolutely not true and i I guarantee you you could make a list of the several hundred most senior national security positions in the u.s government and we could find you multiple qualified female candidates for every single one of those positions and here's the story about david david when you were the publisher and editor of, of foreign policy and i was a columnist for foreign policy You'll remember that I, I came to you at one point and I, I said, "Why am I the only woman columnist for foreign policy?" There were about twenty regular columnists, and I was the one and only woman. And here is why, David, you are you are my favorite male ally. You said, "You're right. That's terrible. We're going to change that." And you you pulled together a little lunch group with me and some of the senior editors and said, we need to talk about how we're gonna change that. And the editors, both male and female, sort of balked at this and said, "Um, gosh, well, it's a hard issue. We certainly want more diversity, but it's so difficult to find women, blah, blah, blah. And David, you said, no, in six months, I want there to be 50% women as our columnists. And they kind of went, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. And you said, I don't wanna hear it. Find them, they're out there. And six months later, half the columnists for foreign policy were women. And and I, I I tell that story because number one, you know, it's it's why we love you. But number two, I think the the point there is that people make a million excuses, and the time is really past for that. the 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 fantastic, well qualified women are absolutely out there. Um, the challenge is that a lot of hiring managers and presidential personnel teams and so on. Are often mostly male themselves when they're filling positions they think of the people they know the people they know tend to be other men um, and men who look like them more, more to the point you know if they're white guys they think of white guys and so forth and you know there, there's a lot of research out there now about how to recruit hire and retain a really diverse team diverse in terms of gender diverse in terms of race diverse in terms of religious background diverse in terms of lgbtq status you name it you know that we know how to do it. That the challenge has been just a real lack of leadership on this issue. So I'm we're hoping that this pledge that these candidates have made marks a real sea change because it it's it goes beyond just saying, oh yeah, I'm going to try to find some women. I'm going to have a binder full of women. To saying, no, I'm going to seek gender parity through these very concrete steps.
0: Well, I think yeah. i thank you for telling that story. The reality is. One of the other things I did over that six-month period was move to 50-50 gender parity on the editors as well, Um, because the reality in these things, as you say, is if women are in positions of leadership, typically that produces a change. You also need diversity in positions of leadership for the same reason, because people often do have a tendency to hire people who look like them. And, you know, at foreign policy, you couldn't actually cover the world unless you sort of reflected the world. Uh, In this particular case, of course, one of the reasons that I'm very enthusiastic about this um, is not just because it produces gender parity or diversity, um, but because many, many, many of the best women uh, leaders, the, the best leaders, in the national security area, are women, such as you guys, and um, it, it would be uh, a lost opportunity for the country not to have them in leadership positions. But Beverly, you know, one of the things that I think is, is you know, I, perhaps you could talk to a little bit is that this is not just a group promoting gender parity. It's a group promoting gender parity in leadership. It's 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 talking about the top positions because if you change things there, you change things throughout the system. Uh, and and perhaps you could talk a little bit about the genesis of that focus.
2: Well, I think uh, I think it's really important that women are in leadership. Women have demonstrated since Time Immortal, that we are capable of, of leading. Uh, it's the question of, do we get the opportunity? And I, I want to circle back to uh, a point that was made about people thinking that it's hard to find women who are capable of being in these leadership positions. Um, that's the reason that's always given for the lack of women in the leadership positions. But it's not hard. It's just, it just takes work to find. You have to go the extra step and people do hire or tend to hire who they know. But when you're in that kind of hiring position, you, what, and what I am hoping that this group will be able to, uh, to be, to be as a resource for people who think it's maybe difficult, but take that extra step. Call someone like Rosa, call someone like Julie, call me. And we know. Who the women are who are fully capable of of stepping into leadership roles, and we're more than happy to make the connection for you. And I think that that is one of the things that we have to really work hard to make sure that people understand that there are plenty of women out there, and women tend to know each other. Uh, it, it's um, uh, it, it's not just the gender parity for regular jobs, as you as you said, it is about about leadership, but I think the key to that is just making sure that people know who we are and and how to reach us. Um, which again, it's not hard. It just takes work. It just takes going that extra step. Uh, and everyone is very happy to help those who are looking for women to fill these positions.
0: Yeah, and I should I should you know I should add you can call I, I, any of you guys. Or call Elsie, you know, El you know, or Elsie <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because you know, if we're you call Elsie design, you, you see yeah, people
2: we're have to design an avatar.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Elsie. Elsie.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but you see people who you've heard on on Deep State Radio because another thing we do is we, we seek gender parity on Deep State Radio. And you know, the folks that you're listening to now or uh, Mika Oyang or Heather Hurlbert or Laura Rosenberger or um, you know in addition to Corey and the list goes on and on and on um, and and all, if you look- of,
1: all of those women are on our steering committee I should say
0: right and and I mean it's um, and, and I could go on and on it, go look at the list these are not just you know people who women who are activists these are real leaders in how we think about national security policy. Now, having said that, I'm gonna put you all on the spot. Um, you don't have to name names, but but Julie and then Rosa and then Beverly, I, 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 you said everybody's got their story of resistance, you know, uh, and, and, in other words, to women in leadership. I, I, I think it'd be helpful to the audience to understand what that looks like. So I'm gonna to turn to you, Julie, first.
3: What I, 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 I don't know if I'm
0: following the question. So our the story the story of the, the struggle. How how, how where has the pushback been? Where's the problems that you've faced? What I I I just like to get a sense of what you think the challenges have been for women in these positions thus far. Tell us Europe. about some yeah.
1: annoying men.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well where do we where do we start? Where do we start? Um, well I think there's so there's so many examples. There's the the kind of uh from the you know I don't know the small to the great. Um, there's, you know, obviously instances where you know uh, you sit in a room that's uh, dominated by men, and you might be the only woman sitting at the table, and you either are getting men uh, repeating your point and being applauded for it, and you're just not heard. Um, there's some mansplaining. That's another issue that comes up quite a bit. But there's there's a bigger there's a bigger set of issues that worry me. I mean, those are challenges. Challenges that women have to deal with, particularly when they're the only woman sitting at the table, um, ensuring that their voices are heard and um, that that people aren't men aren't mansplaining. Um, but the bigger issue for me in the field has really been a personal experience of coming in with uh, several peers early in my career, watching friends enter the State Department Various think tanks go work in Congress on national security issues, the Defense Department, entering the field and then watching those women, many of them, one after, you know, one woman after the next opting out mid-career and watching women do that and trying to understand why we can have equal numbers of women coming into some of these institutions and organizations, but by mid-career, we just don't see, we don't see the parity. So what's happening? And and I've experienced many uh, uh, challenges. One is work-life balance. You know, mid-career, women start to have children. And they're then faced with situations where they're choosing between being a leader on a project or being home for dinner with their kids. So they often stand down and say, okay, I won't go for the big promotion or I won't volunteer to be the lead on this project. I can't stay till 10 at night. Somebody else will have to take the lead on that. And so they're either self-selecting and taking an exit ramp when they decide that that's a priority for them um, or they're faced with direct, very immediate uh, and concrete Uh, incidents of sexism, discrimination, unconscious bias, where you're deliberately taken off a project without someone talking to you because they say, oh, well, we're trying to be sensitive. You are a new mom. So we won't even ask you to lead. And so women are trying to navigate this field Um, while managing responsibilities at home or sometimes caring for elderly parents, whatever it might be. Uh, And so the balance is a challenge. Handling classified information is a challenge. Trying to determine when you can seek that, you know, go for the promotion, when the right timing is. There are all sorts of impediments and challenges that you face as a woman in the field. And that's why I've been so discouraged to see peers of mine say, you know what, it was a great run. I enjoyed it for 10 years. I'm out. I'm going to take a different path. And certainly, you know, I, I don't want to belittle women that make that choice. But I also see women kind of lamenting that they, they feel compelled to make that choice because the system can't accommodate uh, the, the balance that they need Or that they're facing a boss um, that's only taking the men out for beers after work or only asking men uh, to apply for the next promotion and really sponsoring them or mentoring them to ensure that they get the job. Uh, And so it's a whole array of things um, that come up at different points throughout your career as a woman. But I guess the most tragic tale, what I'm trying to say is what disturbs me the most, is not necessarily what women encounter in those first few years in the field but the choices that they face say when they get into their 30s um, and early 40s and uh, we've got to do more to retain those women ensure that they have the support they need from both their male and female colleagues and that the system recognizes some of the unique challenges that they face
0: so beverly what kind of challenges have you faced uh, over the course of your career along the lines of what Julie was talking about?
2: It, the one challenge that I would talk about, and it it may be a little politically incorrect to say, uh, and I will want to explain it on the back end, how, it, how there was a, actually a good example that worked well for me, but I always noticed early on the ease with which it seemed that men develop mentoring and sponsoring relationships with other, men in the in the career you know on the career path uh and that it seemed to be a little harder for women to develop those or at least it was a little harder for me to develop that kind of relationship going forward where I could get the kind of mentorship and sponsorship where I could move up up the ladder uh and uh that was a challenge for me um early early on um and then uh, it, it, it's it's a very subtle thing because you don't always realize that it's going on until you find out a colleague has made a major jump in their career while you're still you still have your head down working feverishly to be noticed. Um, but I, I had a mentor uh, when I was in graduate school who uh, uh, took me under his wing and. Uh, really taught me how to push myself forward, and if these kind of mentoring relationships didn't happen naturally, to actually be bold enough to just ask someone, you know, hey, I'm interested in getting from, you know, A to B, point A to point B. Um, can you help me with that? And it, it was a it was a great lesson uh, because it it made me one feel the fear and do it because that wasn't something that came naturally, just being out there very forward, asking for, for, for help in, in accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish. Uh, but it, it seems as if um, sometimes that that's a challenge for women uh, to, to, to not, I don't want to say speak up, but just to make known that they're interested in being mentored and being sponsored and, you know, Sometimes it doesn't seem to happen automatically in the same way that it does uh, for men. Uh, so that was that was something that that really bothered me early on, but I got over it, and the mentor I had made sure that I got over it. Uh, uh, but this is something that I find that's really, 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 really subtle, uh, and we as women have to make sure. For example, now I make sure that I'm looking out for younger women and men. Uh, Who may be looking for mentoring and sponsoring relationships to try to make sure that I help them, Uh, because not everybody making those making those relationships work is maybe not um, innate for some people in the workplace, Uh, and I and I think it's important that you try to do that. And I don't think men should be afraid to develop these relationships with women who are looking to climb the ladder. I know that that's an area that maybe. Brought, but I, I. One thing that I don't want to have happen is for men to think, "Oh, I can't do that for some reason." Um, you can, um, and you will. You will benefit because you will help someone else, and the person that you're helping will always think really well of you because you help them.
0: So, Rosa, surely, your whole life experience has not been, you know, the opportunity to work with with you know, open-minded, enlightened people like me. And perhaps you've encountered some, you know, assholes out there, have Have you?
1: Oh, just a, just a few, and I'll, I'll tell a story that I think I've told you before, David, that is the, the anti-David story. Uh, I was sitting in a meeting with some very high-powered national security people, male and female, um, uh, including a woman who had been very high up in the intelligence community, a woman who'd had a very high position at the State Department, uh, and uh, a man who, whose name I won't mention, but who hosts a major uh, television show on foreign affairs. Um, and uh, huh. Huh. I said to <laughs> Given him...
0: Given that there's um, one television uh, show on foreign well,
1: affairs... Well, we won't mention his name. Okay. Um, and I said to him, you know there are so few women in the media speaking about these kinds of national security and foreign policy issues, and we would love to make that change. And he said, oh yes, I am, I am absolutely committed to that. And I really want to increase the number of women who go on my TV show that shall not be named. The trouble is, he said unblushingly, the trouble is we try to have experts on our show.
0: Oh,, geez. and he
1: said this with a completely straight face in front of several women with very, very senior level experience and expertise. And I wanted to, you know, sock him in the nose. Um but but you do encounter those attitudes all the time. and 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 I think a lot of it is unconscious bias. I'm sure that if you asked this particular individual if he thought he was sexist, he would say, absolutely not. Um, you know, and and he would believe it. And I, I think that, you know, that gets to some of these really subtle things that, that Julie and Bev have both been talking about that stand in the way of women's advancement. You know, and they're very similar to the kinds of subtle issues that stand in the way of other underrepresented groups, people of color, for instance, you know, that people have this image in their head that they may not even know they have about what an expert looks like, what a leader looks like. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, that person looks like a man and often a white man, right? And that's, they may not even know that. And so then when the woman comes along or the person of color comes along, um, they find there's just something off about that person to them, something sort of missing. And, And we've, one of the, you know, things that I've heard many other women talk about is, you know, not getting a job, a promotion because they were told something like, well, you don't have you just don't have enough gravitas or you don't have command presence or, or executive presence. And those are generally euphemisms for you're not a guy, you know, you don't look like my, my unacknowledged mental image of an authority figure. Um, and, and those kinds of often really unconscious prejudices can be really damaging to underrepresented groups. Um, so, so I, you know, I, but I think they're changeable you know and and I think this is a really great moment right that this is a moment when there's been a lot more media and public attention paid to diversity and inclusion issues you know across the board and I do want to say you know lc wins is focused on gender because we do think there are some unique things about the experience that women have but we very much see ourselves as part of a broader movement for diversity and inclusion that that includes other underrepresented groups too because there are a lot of common challenges um, but on on the on the on the plus side, despite the assholes out there, and there are some, um, we won't name them. Um, you know, we we actually do know a lot about how to make these things better. I mean, I I said this before about about hiring practices, for instance. That there's a fascinating study, and I I, I wish I could remember the reference. I just read it within the last few days showing that if a woman is one candidate out of many candidates or a person of color is one candidate out of many candidates for a job, they almost never get the job, but that the minute you increase the representation of that group in the candidate pool, the odds that one of them will get the job go up just dramatically and disproportionately. You know, it seems to have something to do with sort of tipping points of normalizing the sense that, huh, people who look like that are plausible candidates. Um, so we know a lot about how to change these things, and and as as I said earlier, I think what's been missing, and that's true on the the mentorship front that Bev mentioned, is true on the sort of workplace structure and policies front that that Julie highlighted. Um, maybe we talk a little bit more about that. Um, but I think across the board, we there's there's no reason for the underrepresentation of women anymore. It's been lack of leadership, but but hopefully with this with this campaign pledge. Uh, you know, if one of these folks ends up in the Oval Office, hopefully that will change.
0: Yeah. By the way, I, I, you know, the, there is a lot known about this, and it, it, it reminded me of the um, uh, related, although not directly related, fact that you know, if if, if you're at a conference and um, there's questions, if the first person recognized is a woman, then other women participate. And if the first person recognized is a man, the number of women who participate falls off dramatically. And so there are little things people can do in all of their daily lives, including, by the way, a growing popular thing to do is is, is men should not participate in you know, panel discussions and other forums um, where women are not, not represented, and ideally equally represented. It's something I've done for for four or five years now uh, and it, make, it makes a difference. Uh, we've only got a little time left and I know Julie, you've gotta go. So I wanna go to you and then I'll come back to Beverly and, and Rosa before we wrap up uh, in five or six minutes. But you know, within national security, Julie, it seems to me there are some other kinds of biases. For example, things that are associated with diplomacy tend to be viewed as a little bit more women's work and things that are explicit, associated with um, uh, military issues tend to be a, a little bit harder for women to get into. Things associated with you know, public relations and communications a little bit easier. Things associated with certain hotspots in the world a little harder. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you see change in, in those traditional biases within the field as well?
3: Well, we've definitely made headway, and I think there are plenty of good examples of seeing women blaze trails in places like inside the the Pentagon, either women in uniform or civilian leaders, um, like Rosa and I, our former boss, Michelle Flournoy, and all she did to try and bring uh, gender parity into OSD policy, uh, the Office of the Secretary of Defense. So we've definitely been, been making progress, but I, I would say that you're right, that people do still tend to associate, quote, hard security with men and softer issues, foreign policy, development assistance, human rights issues with women. And uh, I think there's just no question that we still face a society, a situation where, I mean, I I get questions when I go home to my home state of Michigan, you know, oh, you work in foreign policy, you work at the State Department. You know, And they just – folks automatically assume and default to kind of the softer issues. And frankly, Rosa and I have had endless conversations about this. Um, part of the reason that I have not spent or I did not spend a lot of time thinking about gender issues or women in national security earlier in my career – Part of the reason for that was my intent to ensure that people didn't confuse me with a quote expert or someone who worked on gender issues specifically. So I wanted to work in hard security. I did not want to be mistaken for someone who works on the important issues of, say, women and girls in Afghanistan. Um, And that was a mistake. You know, in retrospect, I look back at it and I think, well, you were kind of deliberately avoiding gender issues. And half the time I was dressing in dark suits in the Pentagon to kind of blend in, you know, and make myself part of the atmosphere, Um, a very male-dominated, uh, environment and I think what's changed with Elsie WINS and lots of other initiatives like the one that Beverly runs at CSIS is that women are now embracing this as an issue we're not shying away from it, we're speaking out and we're talking about the importance of this not just for women this isn't just about being fair or helping women tackle some of the unique challenges, this is about at the back end having better policies, avoiding groupthink, having richer discussions looking at different options, including different perspectives, that makes our policy stronger. We're not trying to do this just because it feels good. We're doing this because it produces, all the evidence shows, better outcomes. So I'm happy that... Personally, I've now embraced this as an issue. You know, again, it's taken me a little time to get there. Um, And I'm really happy uh, that there are so many different efforts, not just wins, but that there's a lot of other initiatives out there. And hopefully we can continue to chip away.
0: Um, That's fantastic. And I hope you will. Come back to where it's cool 90 degrees here sometime soon.
3: I will. I will. Um, in the not-too-distant future, I'll be back in Washington this summer.
0: Good. Well, we, we, we miss you here, and, and be well over there. Um, Beverly, let me turn to you with one last question for you, and then I'll go to one last sure. question. But, but we, we talk a little bit about diversity in this issue. Um, as tough as it is for women and getting balance for women, it's even harder for people of color. Do you see any encouraging signs in that regard?
2: You know, I do, David, and speaking as a a, a woman of color, um, I, I'm encouraged by the number of young women that approach me because they see my photo on the website and they cold call me. And I always take those cold calls and cold emails uh, and they want to know, their universal question is, you know, how did you get into your position? How did you break into the think tank world in international security? And I go to coffee with them, I talk with them, and I encourage them. And I hope others do the same. And uh, interestingly, I also get a lot of, uh, uh, of, it's across the board women of color, uh, not just my own ethnic group. but uh, that makes me that makes me think that young women are are beginning to see more people who look like them, and that makes them say, "Okay, I can do this too." Um, I also offer caution to young women not to wait until they see someone who looks like them. I tell them, if you want to go and do either hard or soft security, go and do it. And pick up mentors and sponsors along the way. They may not look like you, but if you ask people for help, particularly in Washington, everybody's been an intern at one point or another, so they're inclined to, to help you. Uh, but, so that makes me really, really optimistic. Uh, and if I can make a, shame, a, a shameless plug for Smart Women, Smart Power, one of the reasons that the initiative started was just to put a, a spotlight on women and their areas of expertise and have them step up and, and talk uh, about the areas in which they are experts. Um, gender questions always come up, but the real focus was making sure that everybody heard the voices of women who have this level of expertise. Uh, and, and so I'm optimistic all the way around, but then I have to say that as a fan of this podcast, I boldly claim the tiara of optimism always. So I tend to look on the sunny side of things. Thank you, Corey Shockey. Uh, but I am optimistic. Uh, the thing that is going to be the challenge is just getting people in power uh, to to see to actually see people who come from a diverse background and bring something different to the table as as being equally worthy of consideration as the people in the past.
0: Well, I'm sure Corey will share the tiara with you. It's, it reminds me a little bit of that scene in Mean Girls at the end where Lindsay Lohan breaks the tiara and gives pieces (laughs) of the tiara. To share. To, right, to to, to share. Um, um, Okay, so I've got to end with one sort of news hook that may tie into this, Rosa, um, uh, so it seems the president of the United States might be a rapist and nobody cares. How does that relate to
1: <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, you know, it is kind of, I was having the same conversation uh, with my family the other day and thinking, boy, any other president credibly accused of rape by a respected columnist. Um, and this would be at the top of the news uh, with this president, who obviously this is not the first accusation of sexual assault or harassment, uh, not the first credible accusation, uh, and everybody's sort of yawning. Um, and and I, I do think we're at a kind of a, a perilous moment. And and I want to say you know I think this president is is an anomaly I, I Bev said earlier LC wins is a is a nonpartisan group we have some fantastic Republican men and women uh, as part of our leadership committee uh, and so I, I I I don't think it's somehow inevitable that that you know when the party in power is the GOP this is going to be bad um, but I do think um one of the things that's most depressing to to me and i i think to many of us is that we really were making progress on on women's issues and on other diversity inclusion issues uh, and that progress has been largely reversed uh, under this president it's 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 because it it's you know the the old feminist slogan from the 1970s was the personal is the political uh, and in this case, with this president, I, I think unfortunately we're we're seeing that you know that a man who in his personal life has uh, not exactly demonstrated um, a respect and concern for for women's issues and women's equality, and and in his administration, uh, the number of women in the senior political appointee positions has really plummeted. Um, you know, there, there's not as much change in the career positions because those are folks who tend to stay for much longer and those numbers change much more slowly. If you look at the biographies of senior defense officials on the Pentagon's website, for instance, it's, it's pretty depressing. Only about 16 percent are female, and during the Obama administration, uh, I think at one point there were five out of 14 assistant secretaries of defense were women. Uh, now that number is zero. So in the case of this administration, the the personal is unfortunately absolutely translating into the political kind of across the board. Um, and and I you know I wanted to go back to one issue that that Julie and Bev both raised, um, which is this notion. And I think it's it's a really pernicious notion. It's been around for a long time that when you talk about women's equality, when you talk about seeking gender parity in the workforce, when you talk about making the workforce, uh, structuring the workforce so that it's easier for women to advance and stay in, that people think, oh, those are women's issues. And so the men sit back and say, I'll let the women work on those issues. Um, And these are not women's issues. You know, these these are human issues. And they're also national security issues, I mean, Julie and Bev both highlighted the fact that there's a ton of research out there that diverse teams make better decisions. Uh, you know, and a lot of the research has been done in the corporate world, for instance. And when you look at uh, corporations with more gender diversity, they have better financial performance. They're organizationally more healthy. Women investment managers make have higher returns in the long run than male investment managers because they make fewer dumb, risky decisions and reckless bets. Uh, etc., you know, that that, that if you want to have a national security decision making that is responsible, that takes into account many different perspectives, that doesn't fall prey to groupthink, the best thing you can do is make darn sure that the people sitting around the table look like America and don't just all look like a bunch of white guys not that there's anything wrong with white guys, but if you get a peop- bunch of people sitting around a table who look alike, you're gonna get a bunch of decisions that look alike. You know, and if you want to make have more robust decision-making process and have better outcomes, you need to diversify. And and we're really one of the things that we really tried to do in LC Wins is, is make sure that it's not just women. And one of our co-chairs, Ruben Brigady obviously male and and that was that was deliberate you know that that we really are trying to make the point this is not about hey let's do a little something for the girls this is about how do we national security professionals make this field stronger and one of the ways we do it is by making sure we're not locking out half of the talent
0: yeah and people who listen to deep state radio know you know they know that some of the very very smartest people in this field um, are women, uh, because they hear them on our show. They hear you and they hear Corey and they hear all the others that we've, we've, we've had, uh, on the show. Uh, I might add, and I'm not speaking on behalf of, you know, LC wins at this point or any of you. Um, but it does seem to me that ultimately, uh, the best thing one can do if you want to have women, uh, in a position of, uh, of where we're take able to, Take full advantage of the the skills and insights that they bring um, is to have a woman commander in chief, and you know I trust that sooner or later we're going to get there. We've got some great contenders this year again, um, and uh, you know I, I, I you know change has to start at the top, uh, and that's why this project is such a worthy project, uh, and the reality of this particular president and. Um, not only his own personal record of abuse and uh, um, disregard for women, but also that of the others in his administration makes this um, so urgent. Um, and, And that's why I'm so proud of all of you guys for doing this and why I encourage people to go read about it, support it, and why it's such great news that you have 15 candidates who've taken the pledge already, um, uh, which is going to make a big difference for the country, uh, make it a safer and, 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 and better place. So I want to thank Julie. I want to thank Beverly. I want to thank Rosa. I uh, want to thank all of you out thank there David. listening. Well, thank you. And uh, David, can you. I
1: just one more time before we go, can I just urge our listeners to... Check out our website, uh, which is lcwins.org, lcwins.org. And you can also find us on Twitter. The Twitter handle of the group is is at LC underscore W I-N S. And you can also look up the hashtag, 5050 uh, in 2020.
0: Which you like. You really like 5050 and 20. I also like
1: it. I really do.
0: I think yeah. I really like 5050 and in tw- 2020. Um, uh, but in any event, thank you, Beverly. I hope you'll come back. Um, I would uh,
2: love to come back, David. Thank you for having me.
0: No, you were great. And uh, and uh, Rosa, I would love to talk to you someday when you're not in a car. <laughs>
1: someday.
0: Someday, but I think you're, you're mobile. You're just always moving around. And uh, for the rest of you, um, uh, we've got another episode coming up a little bit later in the week on Thursday. Uh, and of course, you've got all the other podcasts we're doing and all the other content at the dsrnetwork.com. So go there. Uh, and if I haven't mentioned this before, sign up and become a member. Help support what we're doing. Help support programming that, that focuses on issues like this, which is really important. doesn't doesn't cost a lot. Just go there, go to the DSR network, uh, sign up to be a member, and find some of our other content.